Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Right, I am recording for Contrarian's Corner for Eurotrip. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my Peruvian counterpart, Julio. Julio, 120 episodes deep, numeric episodes, that of course not including the uh, just litany, the deluge of bonus episodes that we've had. I guess we're officially breaking the mattis rule we're past 90 we're past 90 minutes so we're well past it <laughs> well as we go into this we did say that the year seven of, of the contrarians was going to break a lot of rules it was going to reinvent a lot of things so uh we even got a new president it's it's all new that we did uh, as it's easy to get kind of mopey or down in the dumps with everything else going on in the world right now the pandemic and just all the shit that our country's facing. How glorious was that Saturday? I, I, I want to say that words fail me, and but that's not true. It's just that at the same time, what hasn't been said is, <laughs> is more appropriate. And, and Anyone that follows me on Twitter or yourself knows we, we definitely did a few victory laps that day. I felt a sense of joy all throughout my social media. Uh, timelines my feeds that i hadn't felt maybe in 40 years <laughs> <laughs> and in so that was really the, the really cool thing and i understand i know that that's just basically my fraction of the world and i completely understand that there's a completely different section of the world that was feeling the complete opposite and they were probably really bummed and to that i say good <laughs> Fuck you. I'm sorry. It needed to happen. Uh, not to yeah. get too political. I, I just want to focus on the fact that maybe for that one day, maybe in a couple of days, we were on, on this little part, we were all like really happy and united on the happiness and laughing at just like the ridiculous bullshit, like Rudy Giuliani holding a press conference between an <sighs> adult bookstore and a crematorium. I don't know. It was just, it, it was just insanity and we could all just laugh because it's like ah, it's on its way out yeah no it was um again i mean again like julio said not to get too political i don't think every single one of our prayers is about to be answered or you know it's not like things are just magically going to get better but man for me personally none of that shit mattered for that one day it was just it was just very joyous me and my sister danced for like a half hour not even doing a bit like we just turned on music after the news broke and just danced to fucking Rick James. <laughs> it was great. Oh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And you know what? I honestly, if you're a Trump supporter and you've been listening to this show, I don't know what you expected a reaction to be. 
<laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think we usually work in a way to talk shit about him all the time. So and maybe this is the moment where we realize that whenever we were praising uh, the MAGA movement, we were doing that facetiously, and when we were <laughs> talking trash about them, we meant it. <laughs> Should be. This is the episode. Where... It's the person that's just listened to Contrarian's Corner on the Entourage movie, just and never listened to the second half of the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. But yeah. Onward. Fuck them. We are here today to take a trip back to 2004 for the. I guess I knew this, but not. It never really registered with me that there is a genre just specifically called sex comedy. Uh, <laughs> obviously, you know. American Pie, Road Trip, Euro Trip. What were the other big defining movies of that era? I'm trying to remember if there were any what other sex trips? Comedies. Uh, the Guilt Trip. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, oh, uh, Van Wilder is one, but there, you know, that big pocket of these teenage sex comedies. I'm sure Tara Reid was in something that also was besides American Pie that was very popular at the moment. Would you say Harold and Kumar qualified? I mean, I don't think that they get laid at all, but. The, the but that movie makes sure to have like linger on some gratuitous shots of female. It's uh, Malin Ankerman's breasts in that movie. That's of course that's nothing new here on the Contrarians, but yeah, I think that would fall in line. The difference being, my dad would say that's a funny movie and that this isn't. Oh so no! Come on, that would be the d- dividing uh, quality between those two. Uh, two thousand four. So I would have been a uh, what exact date this come out? February 20th of 2004, so I would have been a junior in high school. Julio, you were just getting accepted to AARP? <laughs> I, was, uh, I was not a citizen, but I was a legal resident here in the, the glorious United States of America. I was uh, not a girl, but not yet a woman. It was right in God, the middle. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it was it was that sweet spot. We were just talking about it right before we started recording, where I would watch anything in theaters because I could watch it for free, and I had enough free time, and it was just great. Uh, not yet out of my parents' home, still in high school when this movie came out. I saw this, and I want to say San Marcos at the Starplex out there. If we have any local Central Texas listeners, you'll likely know what I'm referring to. Uh, I think we got into this with no issue, if I remember correctly, because I would have been 16 still, but I, I think, yeah, my older friend bought the tickets to it, but, uh, cause there was a previous incident with old school where we couldn't get in and my mom had to buy us tickets because we were all there at one point in time. Did she have to go sit with you, uh, during the movie? No, they weren't that malicious. She kind of just bought them and walked over and gave them to us. It, what was Freddie versus Jason? We had, we bought tickets to... What was that Jessica Biel movie with Jimmy Fox when they're like in the army? Stealth. Is it stealth? Okay, we bought tickets to that and then like ran into the Freddy versus Jason theater. <laughs> Ought to be young. Packed with at least half the auditorium was people with uh, stealth tickets. <laughs> it's a very safe bet. To be young and to be young at a time of movies like this, um, it always it it's funny to me that this movie was a bomb at the box office because. You and I aren't the only people that talk about this or quote this or have like, you know, a lark or a laugh from time to time discussing it. I feel like it kind of gained more notoriety on a home video market for people of that era because 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it really does feel like there is a set group of people of a particular age set that will immediately get the Scotty doesn't know reference. Uh, I think so. I think that not so much. I mean, yeah, definitely Scotty doesn't know, but also... I think that there might be just uh, a divide between the people that would find this funny and people that wouldn't. <laughs> yes, we'll we'll go we'll go more into that uh, in real talk. We'll but, get into a deep dive into that. Yeah, yeah. but I think that uh, you know, Scotty, this now is tricky because you're right. Yeah, some people will get the reference, some people won't. But I would say most people will find it funny no matter what. And then it's like what happens. Elsewhere in the movie is where where you might see the the big gulf between audiences. <laughs> so if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, we thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're a returning listener, as always, greatly appreciated. Give us a few moments here while we explain our whole gimmick and reason for being to our new listeners. Uh, here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say, find a movie that is highly rated. We typically shoot for about 90% and above, uh, a movie that's oftentimes known as certified fresh, and then make a case for you know maybe why critics should take a few steps back and pump the brakes on what they're saying about it. Uh, on the other side of that, we find a movie that is low rated, typically 30% and below, one of those nasty green splotches they like to call rotten, and make a case for the movie's positive merit. If this is your first time listening, you are tuning in for one of our gray area episodes, as we call it. Whereas, Julio, um, these are our every 10 episodes, we kind of split the uprights here. Yeah. One of us will take the attacking position. The other one will be the defense and uh, we'll hash it out. It's still, in real talk, you'll get to hear how we really feel. In this case, we decided that Alex was going to attack and I was going to defend because uh, as far as contrarian's lore goes, I am the biggest proponent of this movie <laughs> being making its way into the show. Uh, how do I feel about it now that I've watched it after maybe 10 years? Uh, well, we'll find that out in real talk. So let's go to Ohio, Hudson, Ohio. And when this was first released, what were the critics saying about this, Julio? So it's a great area. I have a nice mix of uh, fresh and rotten quotes, starting with a fresh quote from David Nusser from Real Film Reviews, who says, one of this new century's very best comedies. Mm. I mean, we're a few a few years into the new century. I was about to say it was a bit early to call that fight. <laughs> uh, Scott Weinberg from eFilmCritic.com puts a green splotch on it and says, This one's so laughless, so charmless, and so resoundingly amateurish that one wonders why it doesn't carry a National Lampoon Percents in front of the title. Did get that, uh, a lot of it, throughout it. Scott Weinberg just attacking NLP on the side, shooting from the hip. Uh, Another fresh quote from Charlie Lin from Ultra Culture, who says, Eurotrip is satire at its most brazenly self-loathing and audaciously entertaining. I mean, I didn't get the self-loathing mm-hmm. part. Unless you're talking about American self-loathing, which I guess then I truly get. Uh, and then finally, for this section, one final rotten quote from Frederick and Marianne Broussat from Spirituality and Practice who say, a movie so bad that it dares to give the old and worn-out term the ugly American new life and vitality. What was the source on that? That was spirituality and practice. Interesting. I wonder if that's like a 
Christian outlet. Regardless, yeah, I I could see their sentiments and understand it. Um, so, like I said, Euro Trip takes place in Hudson, Ohio, because it has to be Ohio, because there are no characters of color in this city that they live in. <laughs> Our main character, Scott Scotty Thomas, played by Scott Metchlowitz. Um, do, do we know him from anything else, Julio? No, I think uh, he just retired after this one. Like, where else do you go after your trip? <laughs> Went out on top. Uh, I did get a, a bit of a chill for the old DreamWorks signature open. The do 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 That's uh, was a very happy sound of my childhood and teens when I heard that. I usually knew I was in for a very entertaining ninety minutes, be it from the animated side or comedy, what have you. Uh, and then, did you notice who they credited as one of the executive producers on this gentleman returning to the Contrarians? Uh, no, I was just looking out for Alec Berg's credit, and I saw it, and I was like, Alec Berg from HBO's Silicon Valley. This is, you know, the beginning <laughs> of his career. I, I attended a panel at AFF where he was talking about, you know, all the cool stuff he's done, and then somebody brought up Eurotrip, and he was like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> No further comment. Next question. <laughs> it was all right. Um, Ivan Reitman was credited ah. as one of the executive producers on this. So when Ivan Reitman wants to get really raunchy, he just kind of throws his name in the middle of the credits. He doesn't want to be, you know, front and center. But he's still there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I did. A, I appreciate it. I don't know. I see so few movies these days that I don't know if this is still a thing. But it definitely felt like it was a turn of the millennium gimmick. The opening credits being of like animated or something to do with the movie where, you know, the credits were, they were being cast through, you know, a passport or an animated sequence of um, a safety pamphlet and a flight. It, I did appreciate that. But yeah, besides um, Ivan Reitman, the only two names worth a shit in this movie, it, I kept saying who? And then I saw <laughs> Lucy Lawless and Michelle Trachtenberg. And that, that's where the star power uh, begins and ends for this film. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, that's be only because Matt Damon is uncredited. Still, uh, we'll we'll get to that. Just the absolute perplexing nature of what happens <laughs> there. So it's high school graduation in 2004, a year away from my high school graduation. And again, our main character, Scotty, is dumped by his girlfriend, Fiona, immediately following uh, the high school graduation. And I guess it's supposed to be funny because as he's being dumped, his family walks up and is videotaping him and taking pictures of him, led by uh, none other than Jeffrey Tambor, who I yeah. had completely forgotten was in this movie. Alan's father. Yeah. What are you talking about? No star power. He's there for maybe three scenes. And every time he shows up, it's just he can do so much with so little. He should have been the fucking opening credit starring Jeffrey Tambor. Starring. Uh... Transparence, uh, Jeffrey Tumbor. Arrested Developments, Jeffrey Tumbor. Hangover 3 is Jeffrey Tumbor. So, yeah, I guess we're supposed to feel that this uh, this Scotty character is a real sad sack and have some semblance of fucking sympathy for him. His girlfriend, Fiona, uh, is dumps him pretty ruthlessly. So it's... Eh, I guess you could get some sympathy for him until then you see that his best friend is a guy named Cooper, played by Jacob Pitts who I honestly only have any real knowledge of because he was in an episode of Sex in the City. Jacob Pitts. Jacob Pitts is from Justified, my friend. And of course, this is obviously way before his Justified years, but he plays uh, one of the marshals in Justified along Timothy Oliphant. And he's great. 
He's a sniper. He's he's one of the fan favorites on the show. Watching Justified, I would get a kick out of seeing him play this really serious character and just going, but it's Cooper from Eurotrip. He wants to get laid all the time. Yeah, it's... I mean, we were already nearly 30 years removed from, you know, Animal House and movies of that ilk. You would have thought we would have come up with a better trope than just the the hyper horny best friend who is only driven by sex. And more importantly, we're three, two, three years removed from fucking uh, road trip. And I think American Pie was 99. So about five years away from American Pie. But we've, we have the Stifler character already. We have Sean William Scott. We understand by 2004 that he exists in the ether. Why do we need someone who's not Sean William Scott playing the Stifler character? See, that that's exactly why we need somebody other than Sean William Scott because I from my memory, like his character in Road Trip, Sean William Scott's character in Road Trip is just Stifler again. Unless like give me some variety. I've already seen Sean William Scott play this type. I need somebody else. Bring Jacob Pitts. Bring whoever else. I, I no. I think that it's it's good. You need different actors showing you different shades of the character. I will not deny Stifler's massive contribution to the world of comedy and just how basically he just gave new life to this stereotypical horny friend. But the thing is that it that's a trope, a character that survives decades after the fact because. They exist in real life. I think, in a way, the four characters that make up the the core group here in Eurotrip are all different facets of our personalities. I think there's all of us have a little bit of Cooper, we have a little bit of Scotty, a little bit of uh, Jamie, and even a little bit of uh, of Jen, Jenny, and that's why you see them over and over in these type of uh, of comedies. And Jacob Pitts is great. He's so funny. Come on. Are you telling me that going forward for the rest of 2020, you're not going to use the line, uh, this is not where I parked my car? You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, did did you really, ex- are you the person that bought the t-shirt that said, this isn't where I parked my car? Is that you? <laughs> and then the back, it says, this is where I parked my car. <laughs> so already we know what kind of movie we're in for. And that night they have the uh, high school graduation party. And this is where we're introduced to, as you mentioned, uh, Jenny and Jamie, uh, Twin siblings. I, I just realized you didn't. You never watched the Buffy TV show. So where do you know Michelle Trachtenberg from? Harriet the Spy, brother. Oh, we might have talked about this before <laughs> because that doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense. That was like a thing when I was a little kid. 1996 is when Harriet the Spy came out. I was, by definition, a little kid. And it was also a Nickelodeon movie. And man, you don't understand what it was like when a movie got that Nickelodeon label put on it as a little kid. You only thought Nickelodeon was like a TV channel. So when a movie got that like orange splotch on it, my God, that's like, I I still, I think Scorsese being the director is the only modern equivalent I have to that. (laughs) So, so she was Harriet before she was Buffy's sister. Uh, yeah. I mean, she was a teen or adult by the time she did Buffy again, she was like a kid kid in Harriet the Spy. Okay, well, so does that make it, the fact that you haven't seen her as a teenager in Buffy, does that make it weirder or less weird when you see her being super sexual in this movie? Uh, she was also an Inspector Gadget. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember what my emotion was at the time. I mean, everything about this movie is tailored for a 16-year-old boy, so I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember it being weird. Like, Well, I mean, because I, I know that in my case, 
it makes me appreciate her performance more because her character uh, in Buffy, I mean, she's a the younger sister and Buffy's not at all like this movie. So while I can see it as a very clear attempt at uh, jumping into the R-rated pool, trying to just shed that image of being Buffy's little sister, I, I still, I can appreciate also that she has the chops to make that jump because not everybody can do it. And then her, on the other side of that, twin coin her brother played by travis wester who even just looking at his filmography here not too familiar with he was in an episode of scrubs apparently he was also unjustified really he reunited with uh jacob pitts do you think jacob pitts got him the gig <laughs> yes uh the the dj qualls of this movie just without any of the charisma or likability as uh, travis wester playing jamie and it becomes apparent that this little quad, this uh, quartet of friends, is they've been friends for quite some time because obviously Michelle Trachtenberg is a very attractive young lady, but none of them see her in that light. Uh, so much so that um, Cooper repeatedly says, I thought you were a girl or like, uh, that's gross. You're not a girl. You know, really sophisticated dialogue that you come to expect from the brain trust that made this movie. We were we praising? Yeah, it was last episode. We we're praising the the relationship that Josh Gad had with Emma Stone in the rocker because she is she's just somebody that she's a very attractive woman, but he doesn't see her as a very attractive woman. He sees her like like an older sister, and in this case, it, it's just a more comedic version of that. Where Cooper and everybody else they don't see her as an attractive young girl; they see her as just a, a buddy. You know that that's real life. They just play it up a little bit more for comedy. That's what comedy is, Alex. <laughs> Sir, I would implore you to never compare the duo of Josh Gad and Emma Stone to that of Jacob Pitts and Michelle Trachtenberg again. <laughs> Blaspheme, I say. And as <laughs> to be expected, it's in all caps on my notes. Matt Damon. Uh, we will get in the second half of this podcast to how Matt Damon's role in this movie came to be. But fucking Matt Damon is in Eurotrip. <laughs> He shows up as the lead singer of a local punk band that sings the uh, aforementioned iconic, at least for a very small percentage of uh, youths, uh, track Scotty Doesn't Know. It is not Matt Damon singing, sadly, but he does Ooh. do the intro and uh, his lip syncing skills are absolutely up to snuff. And he gets to suck face with the actress that plays Fiona. Dude, I used to know the lyrics to that song. It was it was on my iPod. He's so trusting while I'm on top of you thrusting. Yeah, it, yes. It's, it's so it's clever. A, it's a catchy tune. Uh, <laughs> even at 16, watching this in the theater, I remember being like, is that Matt Damon? And <laughs> I have, I guess this is a little bit of real talk, but I have garnered such an appreciation for this. And it is one of it still is one of the most baffling and perplexing cameos ever. Because <laughs> it's not like... it. We're not talking about a young Matt Damon here that, you know... is The Rocker, for example. We're not talking about a young, nubile Emma Stone. Matt Damon was an A-list superstar at this point. And I, I honestly think if social media had had a bigger presence in 2004, it would have led to this movie doing much better. Like, we, we've talked about, I think, once or twice here on the podcast... A big part of why Zombieland did really well was because the news got out that about the Bill Murray cameo. Mm. And this is even way <laughs> more baffling than that. Uh, but Julio, I mean, what comes to your mind when you strap in for a movie that's a, 
a national lampoon you know ripoff and fucking matt damon shows up but it fits that's the thing that what goes through my mind is just of course because i think even before matt damon became i guess known for just showing up in movies, right? Uh, because I know you, I mean, we've made the joke before about Interstellar, like the comparison, right? He, when she, he shows up Interstellar is a little bit like, different than Eurotrip. <laughs> but but in concept, it's the same. He's uncredited, he's not in the trailers, and then he shows up and you're like, Matt Damon, of course. Uh, I, I don't think you've seen this movie. Uh, it's a Steven Soderbergh movie. Oh, I don't even remember the name now, but it was it was his first movie that he shot like on a phone. And Matt Damon shows up for one scene. He's a he's a guy that shows up to tell the the protagonist how she needs to protect herself from stalkers and he he has a couple pages worth of dialogue comes in and out, leaves, and you're like, was that Matt Damon? What the fuck? <laughs> but every time afterwards, you you just go like, of course. Uh he has that reputation at this point, a, a guy that would just do I guess anything, if he deems the project worthwhile, which clearly he did with Eurotrip, just like he did with Interstellar and this Steven Soderbergh movie. Even going all the way back to uh, Chasing Amy, I don't know if you remember, but he has that little part in Chasing Amy, and I know that was young Matt Damon, pre-Oscar Matt Damon, but still, I think this is a guy that just follows his heart. When he finds something interesting, he just goes. He doesn't care about where his name shows up in the credits, if at all. And ultimately, Damon is great, but the song is great, and I think that's... Can you think... Of a sequence like the Scotty doesn't know sequence in in a comedy like off the top of your head. That I was about to say, if you gave me some time, I'm sure I could come up with something. But it's, I mean, it gives this movie its identity. Anyone that's ever seen this movie will, uh, this is like immediately what comes to the forefront of their mind. Again, we'll, we'll save the Matt Damon discussion for real talk. But that, you're absolutely right. This. Uh, I, I guess some people would say the uh, the news anchor battle in the first Anchorman with all those you know cr- cameos you didn't see coming, but even then I would argue that this is m- way more memorable because it's from such an unremarkable movie and <laughs> fucking Matt Damon <laughs> Matt Damon showing up in this to me is slightly more impressive than Ben Stiller showing up in Anchorman. Uh, and also, it's intercut with boobs, always a good thing. No. Oh. A staple of the turn of millennium sex comedies. I, I told you I, I ended up renting the unrated cut because it was two whole minutes of extra raunchiness, I guess. And I honestly, I mean, I guess it's been so long since I watched the theatrical cut that I couldn't tell you what the difference was. But if I had to guess, I think we just got two extra minutes of that girl in the pool grabbing her boobs, uh, <laughs> which, you know, all right. I'm with Cooper. That's, that's fine. Have you seen uh, Sex Drive? Have you ever seen that movie? A long time ago. That's uh, James Marsden, right? Yeah, the, pretty much the last attempt at making a movie like this, a sex comedy. That's the whole joke. The unrated version of that movie is just, uh, there's nothing really different about the movie. There's just these like static shots of nudity, both male and female, thrown in for no reason. <laughs> All right, so Scotty, Scotty doesn't know, but what Scotty does do is he gets very drunk at this party, and he goes back and... Uh, we're very briefly introduced in the beginning of this idea that he is this pen pal in uh, Berlin, Germany, who he believes to be named Mike. And it's just a guy he's got uh, you know, a good friendship with. Cooper puts in his head that it's a dude trying to meet up with him and you know, uh, have sex with him or take advantage of him, what have you. So when Scotty gets back from this party, he's drunk. He sees an email from Mike 
saying that, you know, I'm so sad to hear about you breaking up with your girlfriend. I'd like to get together and, you know, make things better for you. Just a very, you know, innocently worded email. And being drunk, he messages back, you know, fuck you. I don't want to be with you. You're a weird guy. Uh, don't touch my genitals is the phraseology I recall from this. And so he fires that off and wakes up the next morning, hungover. His little brother is reading his emails and quickly explains to him, you idiot. Uh, this isn't, uh, it's basically the inflection of the German language. It's like, no, this means girl, not man. And this means uh, Mika, not Mike. And then shows the picture uh, that he had confused who was Mike. And, you know, it's a classic mix em up. And so he freaks out and tries to message her back. And at this point, he, she's already blocked his email. Uh, he has an amazing uh, email. Oh, I was going to see if you're going to bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, when he gets when he gets an email, it just says "mail motherfucker," which is great. <laughs> Mail motherfucker. And when he uh, when he's blocked because she blocked him after he sent that nasty drunk email, it just the email tells him you've been blocked. <laughs> I guess they couldn't afford the actual sound drops from AOL. I mean, fuck, you're talking about a movie that had Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks at the helm. Yeah, this thing's not going to be able to afford. You've got mail. <laughs> Well, male motherfucker is a lot funnier anyway. <laughs> exactly. I was gonna say, so what do you do? Male motherfucker. <laughs> this here is the funniest moment that Jacob Pitts has in the movie because he walks in and he goes, Mom made waffles. And he's <laughs> e just eating, you know, a, a waffle that he just walked upstairs from. No syrup or butter on it or anything. The the way he it's such an innocuous line, but the way he delivers it and the context of it and also what it means is it's just very funny. The he's, idea that uh none of the subsequent i don't know 80 minutes worth of uh, jacob pitt's lines were not as funny to you as this waffle line makes me really sad again i knew in 2004 that sean william scott was out there somewhere and i know just as well today that he was out there somewhere pining for work <laughs> <laughs> he was he had moved on he was doing bulletproof monk probably or the, uh, he, the movie he the was Rock. yeah i was about to say he was pretty close to um the Rundown? Um, that movie with The Rock. Yeah, The Rundown. and the, Oh, and then um, Southland Tales. So oh. he he had the big double feature with DJ. <laughs> Where it all went wrong. Oh, let's <laughs> calm down on that Southland's talk <laughs> dribble. Uh, but anyway, you made up with your sister, dude. Come on. He, uh, he has much funnier lines coming up. So they realize the error of what has happened and... Fuck it. No time like the present. Might as well live up while we're young. So Scotty's going to go to Berlin to talk to Mika and say, you know, you're the one for me. And Jacob Pitts has nothing better to do. So he's like, let's go. <laughs> and then they pull the old um, Bart on the road trick uh, where Bart has to become a courier to save up the money to get home. And in this case, they just are like, fuck it. We'll be a courier. We'll take a package overseas. And it's a cheaper way to get there. Takes them to the UK to begin with. And my God, the, the state of the green screen when they show up to the UK. Uh, my note says, is this really London? I can't tell and I don't care. <laughs> it definitely was, but it didn't. It was not at all like uh, Parks and Rec when they had that two part episode in, in the UK where they clearly flew the entire cast over there to do it. <laughs> this is this is literally the Wayne's World joke of, you know. I thought they wouldn't have flown us over. I thought they just want to save us money. And because, you know, they're like pointing around all this green screen. And then the intern walks in the background. You can see his watch glistening off the, the digital effect. 
I don't need them to actually shoot in London. Uh, I just need to get the feel of London. If they can capture the spirit of London, then then you have me. And they do, because they cast Vinnie Jones. That's all you need. Then I buy that they're in England. I mean, that's a very fair point. Was your reaction to Vinnie Jones showing up the same as uh, your reaction to uh, Matt Damon showing up? No. Vinnie Jones? <laughs> yeah. In a movie in England? What? That, that guy should be the juggernaut. Uh, <laughs> what I do appreciate in movies like this, and this I guess would be a mild compliment, is the semantics of the story matter not. There, as soon as they get there, it is never mentioned again. Whatever package they were supposed to deliver as a courier, <laughs> it's just like we don't care, you don't care. It's the old John Wayne line about, well, if you did that, then it wouldn't be a movie. But they get there, and there's they say there's no drinking age in uh, England, so let's go crazy. And they go to a bar called the Feisty Goat, which is uh, they say it was a Man City or Man U was the Man U Man U. And yeah, led by Vinnie Jones, who I mean, he's fucking Vinnie Jones. You can't really get a more authentic fucking soccer hooligan character than that. <laughs> and he is mad that these foreigners showed up and they explain they're from the Ohio chapter and they end up getting really drunk and singing My Baby Takes the Morning Train, which is just a banger of a song. So this whole sequence had me smiling if for no other reason than that song is very solid. Uh, I I was also smiling because I like I like Vinnie Jones when he knows when he knows his place, which is London hooligan. That that's like that plays to his strengths. Snatch, I, snatch. You know, uh, uh, which by the way we get another. I don't know if you recognize another snatch album uh, in the movie later. But uh, mm. when when Vinnie Jones tries to stretch his his acting muscles, that's when I get nervous. And I didn't know if this movie was going to be wise enough to just let him be Vinnie Jones without trying to, you know, like, don't show me Vinnie Jones having sex or Vinnie Jones, like, just being particularly raunchy. No, thankfully, the filmmakers knew what they had and how to utilize it. And that was Vinnie Jones is just there being tough, opening bottles, opening beer bottles with his eyes and uh, just yelling obscenities at people that was that's good that's the vinnie jones i like that's the vinnie jones i need and no more and it it shows restraint because i think that sometimes when when you have uh directors that cast vinnie jones in their movies they're trying to reinvent the wheel and they're like we're gonna give you the vinnie jones that you've never seen and it's like no i some actors that's great but with with others X-Men three <laughs> yeah see i don't see him as a juggernaut i think that that was kind of a misfire that was better on paper than when we actually got it there because one of the only misfires of the last stand <laughs> yes uh, because when you're seeing him you don't see the juggernaut you see vinnie jones and that's the problem you know that's mm-hmm. not cool but when you see him in Eurotrip, you're like oh that's vinnie jones and it works because it's supposed to be funny and he ends up hitching the boys a ride to paris as they get really drunk and pass out and man is playing the paris football club and uh, which I'm sorry, I don't know their name. I don't want to offend any of our Perry listeners or any diehard <laughs> football fans. Um, so they make it to Paris. This turns out to be kind of a blessing in disguise, though, because they're able to meet up with uh, Michelle Trachtenberg and Travis Wester, um, Jenny and Jamie. Jamie. OK, the twins, uh, because they're there to I guess that was their graduation present. They were going to go to Paris. So uh it's at this point the roles are specifically established. Michelle Trachtenberg is the the dude girl, but is obviously <laughs> scorching hot. Scotty is the man in love on a mission to find it. 
Cooper is the the horn dog, the Stifler character that's just there to you know fuck anything with two legs. And then Jamie is the practical nerd who you know is very precautious about keeping wallets and money and passports in a safe place, and is also very anal retentive about his camera, this very expensive camera that he has, and is studied so much to learn for the trip that they're about to embark on. Uh, they start it by going. They attempt to go to the Louvre, which has a line that. Living in the age of COVID made me so fucking anxious looking at it. <laughs> uh, it's it's great because, yeah, this is where the movie really starts, now that we got these four together. And this movie really reveals what it's like, what it's about. And what it's about is what, uh, I think, what Sex and the City 2 try to do. I know I, we briefly <laughs> talked about it. Uh, I remember reading uh, interviews about how Sex and the City 2 was trying to provide a break to its audiences because I don't remember what was going on at the time of its release but they're like you know wouldn't it be nice if this movie was able to transport you to uh, where do they go in Sex and the City 2? Is it Saudi Arabia maybe? Is it Abu Dhabi? Or Abu Yeah they go to Abu Dhabi and they're like you know so it'd be like like you're taking a vacation with the girls and instead it backfired because people took it as in like wow you're robbing your expensive lifestyle in our faces <laughs> so I think a Eurotrip actually pulls it off because what it does is it creates the kind of trip, the kind of adventure that you kind of long to have with friends. And if you can't have it in real life, you might as well just tag along with these guys. They're buddies. They're having fun and you're having fun with them. That's really Eurotrip above like anything else. It's about just having fun in Europe with your buddies. And I think it it, it succeeds at that. So they're in Paris, they're waiting in the line for the Louvre, and then there's a street performer who's like doing a robot act. And I kept thinking, I know that fucker. Who is that? And I was just looking and I was trying. You ever do that where you see someone in a movie and you don't look it up because you want to figure it out on your own? Uh huh. Yeah. And I couldn't figure it out. So I oh. had to, <laughs> yeah. Had to look it up. And it is, what is his name? JP Manu. Um, the reason I realized he came to mind so quickly is because me and my sister recently did a rewatch of Community. He's the guy that Chang hires to be the imposter dean. Uh, he's like one of those actors that you kind of – he's in so many different things but is never in a starring role. I just recognized his face and he was the – you know, like I said, the bizarro dean in Community. So that's what came to mind. It's pretty impressive that you recognize him under the the French robot makeup. He has very, very distinctive eyes. Much like Jim Rash does too, and that's I think what I thought that was great casting in Community. Here nor there. Does he uh, does he laugh in Community the way that he laughs in this sequence? Uh, this, even if this was funny, which it's not, it just goes on way too long. Ah, and they, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> and Homeboy JP uh, Manu, he at least has some good robotic movements down. Yeah, Scotty does not. I think that the the combination of how he's moving and the sound effects that he's making, I think it sells it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and then they just like at least them having a fight where in the end you got to give it props. You always got to go to the classics. In a classic, a man getting hit in the balls is never not funny. And the the climax to it is the robot gets kicked in the balls and lets out a uh, yelp of my robot balls. And then he <laughs> air roar, air roar. <laughs> Again, you uh, tell me another movie where you would see a sequence like this. I mean, that's a, it's a fair call. But it's at this point, they get out of line for the Louvre, and they're like, all right, let's figure this out. They go out and have a fancy dinner, and they decree that they're going to take a trip across Europe that'll bring them to 
the destination of Berlin to where uh, Scotty can meet up with Mika. And from here, one of the things I did want to give the movie props for, I, I think the a true staple of the road trip movie is the map that mm-hmm. shows your journey that you're conquering and taking over. And a lot of times the map would be a literal map of the United States and shows like, you know, a little character going from here to here. Uh, what I enjoyed about this was when they were at dinner, they made this, uh, you know, just kind of improvised map of what their voyage is going to look like. And that's the map that is used for their travel throughout the rest of the movie. Anytime you can submerge yourself completely into something to where everything about the movie, every gimmick about it is about just that. That's big thumbs up for me. Yeah. And they begin their voyage. They're going to Amsterdam from Paris and they do so by train. And not that I would have known who he was in 2004, but watching this in 2020, I was like, holy shit, Fred Armisen. <laughs> I I had that moment that you had before with the fake Dean where I was like, is that, is that, do I look it up? Do I look it up? No, I'm going to wait and see if it's really <laughs> Fred Armisen. <laughs> uh, which I, he might've even been one of the uh, featured players on SNL by this point. You know, the cast, and then there, there would be the featured players. I don't even know if they still do that. But, but yeah, obviously, he's not Fred Armisen of today. and He's not the rocker's Fred Armisen. <laughs> yeah. Back-to-back episodes for old Freddy. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, this pervert on the train that they're on that's into groping people while you go under tunnels. He, Scoozy. <laughs> yeah, but then he speak Spanish too. I mean, look, you, me, and Eddie have always talked about Fred Armisen's greatest quality is how racially ambiguous he is. <laughs> he can play anything and you will believe it. And this is like a melding pot of that where he's speaking Spanish, but also using some French. Uh, you know, at this this performance I, it was way before its time, way ahead of its time. And something like this today is what we deserve. I mean, scoozy. How can you not laugh at that? <laughs> I was curious the whole time if it was actually Fred Armisen's mustache or not. If it was something they just, you know, uh, fuck. Uh, Beverly Hills Ninja is the movie where the guy uh, boomerangs a mustache onto Chris Farley's face. I, when I was a kid, like for some reason, I thought that was how they put mustaches on actors in movies is just throw them on their face. Like in that movie. <laughs> For many reasons, Beverly Hills Ninja eschewed my sense on uh, reality, my vision of reality. So they get to Amsterdam. Nerd boy. Why do I keep forgetting his name? Is it Jamie? Jamie. Okay. So Jamie is in Amsterdam and wants to go to his camera service. So he goes, and that's not a euphemism. And he goes. <laughs> it becomes one. It, it does. Absolutely. So then Cooper's like, hey, we're in Amsterdam. And goes to one of the local sex shops or sex parlors. And then so it's Amsterdam. That was honestly something I didn't really know about Amsterdam until I was older. I always had the Pulp Fiction view and just that it's where weed's legal. And then growing up and learning, you know, what the red light district was and shit. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, so that place is just insanity. Uh, (laughs) And then, yeah, having read and listened to accounts of stories, uh, there was a very legendary professional fighter named boss Rutten, who's from the Netherlands. And there's been some stories about him taking fellow fighters to Amsterdam and through the red light district and whatnot that have been something of legend. So I, I guess that's all to say that 
when the contrarians record on location in Amsterdam, you'll know damn well what I'm doing. Julio will be very <laughs> faithful and loyal and just smoking jays in his room. I'll be out doing what Cooper's doing. And when he shows up to club, uh, it has some really long name. I think it's a it has sex in it somewhere, and there's you know 19 X's in it. Uh huh. Do you have it written down what it was? No, but I just remember the T-shirt afterward. So I think it's one free, of the funniest jokes in the movie. <laughs> free T-shirt. <laughs> uh, he goes to this sex club, and the mistress of it is Lucy Lawless, Zena, uh, Ron Swanson's wife, and. <laughs> I had no recollection of her being in this movie and also the fact that she plays a dominatrix (laughs) a dominatrix just runs down the whole rigmarole and the joke is that he didn't realize he went to the club that is basically for homosexual torture I guess it doesn't have to be homosexual but the idea is that um, some big beefy gentlemen come out and spank you whip you they have different tools that they use on you. Don't they have uh, genital clamps? Yep, yep. That's that's true as well. And then they have um, this massive like uh, drill. <laughs> it's like almost like a, a skill saw that has multiple dildos mounted on it with a laser <laughs> sight, no less. Yes, <laughs> a laser sight. So, so we get. Is this our first? Is this our first man ass in the movie when we see Jacob Pitt like bent over with the laser pointer? <laughs> It, it's an impress. They got a, a a sharp side on that too. It's like fucking Deadshot from DC. Um, they, I I can't believe that I did, forgot to write down the the nude beach scene earlier in the movie, which at the time was like one of the big selling points on it. But I just glossed right over that. So, uh, it is not our first man ass in the movie. I think the idea of what is happening in the scene would have been a lot more shocking had we not seen just such a. Uh, abundance of wiener earlier in the movie. <laughs> uh, but that's but that's great. I, I will fall back on my tried and true. Like, where else have you seen something like this? Yeah, we get Jacob Pitts's ass here. That's just completely defiled by this mechanic that they they're operating in Amsterdam. Because um, the whole joke is he can't figure out the the safe word. Right, it's it's a German word that's really long. And actually, so he first when he first he thinks he got it right and interesting, it wasn't the safe word. What he said was basically he was calling for the triple dildo thing that Un- comes out later. <laughs> Release the Kraken. <laughs> yes. And then he got a free t shirt, which is like I said, one of the greatest jokes ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, because he the shows- next morning the next morning he shows up and he's wearing the shirt. And honestly, I wish that they hadn't explained it because you know, uh Scotty asks him, he's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, free t-shirt. I wish he hadn't said anything. They hadn't addressed it. And then, you, you know, it would just be for those of us smart enough to pick up that, oh, he's wearing that new t-shirt. Because <laughs> he's like limping into frame when he <laughs> comes in the next day. But yeah, th- meanwhile, that night, Scotty and Michelle Trachtenberg went and thought they were devouring pot brownies when, in fact, they were just eating normal brownies and they ended up making asses of themselves. And then Jamie went to a camera shop and the woman was so impressed by his camera that took him out back uh, in the alley behind the shop, gave him a Hummer. Uh, but he ended up getting mugged by um, Diedrich Bader. Is that that guy's name? <laughs> yep. Okay. And was that was that as big a, a shock of a cameo as Matt Damon? It was, it was categorically not as big of a shock. <laughs> I mean, he's Lawrence from Office Space. That's 
that dude has done so much. You know, he's such, he's been such a big part of King of the Hill, which I'm obviously a huge fan of. He's had so many small parts in movies here and there and done so many funny things, but he will always be Lawrence from office space to me. I, I've talked about that before with you. And, you know, if you do something so iconic, you're always going to be that guy. It's like, um, Russell Brand. It's that's out of snow. He will always be out of snow. <laughs> This guy here ran up, and I was, I, the first thing I thought was two chicks at the same time, just his line from uh, Office Space. Which, you know, in Amsterdam, he was more likely to to get that to happen. But, uh, yeah, especially with the look he had, and, and <laughs> he was a bit more clean-shaven in this. But he shows up, robs them, passports, money, you know, IDs, all gone, all down the toilet. But to his credit, uh, Jamie's not too bothered by it because he had himself a hell of a night. So... The plan now becomes that they're going to get the hell out of Amsterdam. They attempt to hitchhike to Berlin. Uh, a truck driver pulls over, and this is where Scotty's uh, lack of knowledge and fluent German becomes apparent as there's a massive miscommunication. He believes that the truck driver is going to take him to Berlin uh, when, in fact, he keeps saying nowhere near Berlin. Yeah, because in Berlin, he uh, he killed a man and he molested a bear and I don't know what else. It was a it, he stabbed a woman in a bar that he talks about and uh, ends up taking them to Eastern Europe in the town. I'm not sure if it's a fictional town or a real town of uh, Bratislava. Let me see uh, here. The, the town of Comedy Gold. This is the greatest sequence in the movie. This is, you know, real talk, contrarian's corner, whatever this before we, you know, ever started this podcast there were times where me and julio would be in our office at work together and he would be explaining to me why this was so funny like (laughs) this didn't happen just once this was multiple times julio would and i had seen the movie but he would explain to me the setup to all the jokes and just repeatedly explain why it was so funny uh but you know what i had forgotten (laughs) i can't believe i'm still laughing oh what I had forgotten was that uh, our second Snatch cameo uh, of the night, uh, Boris the Knife shows up and he speaks in really old American catchphrases because he's the, the latest just show. just gotten Miami Vice. In, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's Bratislava, which is a, is a real place. I, I did find that out. I wonder how they like the depiction of their of their city. Uh, but yeah, he's great. He... he uh, God, I know, I know at some point he's like, does, does he ask him, where, where's the meat? Where's the patty? Where's, where's the beef? No, yeah, that's when he pulls up before, like, when they're trying to get out of town, he pulls up, hey, friends, where's the beef? From the end of the- <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, the joke being in Eastern Europe is it's just very poor and impover- uh, impoverished place. And, yeah, the I didn't even realize that's who that actor was. Well, well done, well caught. And, uh, yeah, it's in... Um, Slovakia, right on the border between Slovakia and uh, Hungary, Hungary. Excuse me. They are hungry. They they are. Yeah, but their life is uh, not as sophisticated as elsewhere. And like Julio said, they just got Miami Vice, and it's the number one show. And then they pull together their money as they're walking down. They. The thing I don't know why I laughed the hardest at in this is they're just looking and there's these war-torn conditions and then there's a dog with a severed human hand in its mouth. <laughs> and they pull together their money and they realize, uh, shit, we, we only have a dollar and, you know, 80-something cents. What can this buy? Smash cut to them in the most extravagant hotel with a buffet. <laughs> this 
yeah, th- th- this is so culturally insensitive. I couldn't even get behind it. <laughs> it's uh, it's great though because I'm sorry, but it reflects reality. And sometimes, it, Alex, that attitude, what you just gave me there, this is why Todd Phillips quit comedies and went and made Joker. <laughs> it's like you have to be able to laugh at these sort of things. Uh, and I'm sorry, but this is what happens when when Americans travel around the world to, to, to a country that's uh you, you know has less uh lesser means than the united states it happens when americans go to peru it happens when i go to peru now i go to peru you know with dollars and i know that it buys me a lot more than if i was using the the national currency and so just to see it represented in a movie in such a funny way obviously it's exaggerated for comedic purpose but the fact that we've referenced this countless times in the podcast and off the podcast with the guy i always i used to say a quarter it's actually even funnier because he gives him a nickel uh, scotty tips the the waiter or whatever he tips him a nickel and the guy's like a nickel i quit i'm gonna go open my own restaurant <laughs> the bag boy yeah and he slaps his uh his uh, manager on the way out yeah, but they they're left with I think they say like we got twenty seven cents. What can we do? And it goes to them at you know the most raging nightclub in Bratislava. And um, this is where I caught on and I had to do some uh, reflecting in my mind. This was something I never caught the first time I saw the movie. Uh, I knew that they the Scotty doesn't know came back because it was Cooper's ringtone at the end of the movie. Every place they go to has like a different version of the song, like the melody of it. Yeah, Did you they actually that? call it out, or it might have been only on my on my extended two minutes uh, edition. Oh, okay. Because I, when I watched it, they I recognized it, and then they they went and they went all Apatow and they explained the joke again, and they were <laughs> like, "Oh, this this song sounds familiar," and Scotty kind of laughs, and 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 then that's it. But you know, to me, it's like much like the, with the T-shirt. It's a lot funnier if you just figure it out on your own. But yeah, it's great. Yeah, so they're they're drinking a bunch of absinthe and they all get, you know, unbeknowingly really fucked up, which I remember watching this as a kid and being like, well, a teenager. Like, that can't happen. You can't take a bunch of stuff and not know that you're fucked up. Oh, to be young and naive. <laughs> and they get really fucked up on absinthe. The punchline here to everything that happens is that uh, just through the sheer machinations of clubbing, Jenny and Jamie end up dancing together and then making out while Cooper and Scotty are watching. And obviously the realization that these siblings are making out with each other leads to sheer terror and uh, just abject silence the next day. Brother and sister making out for the sake of uh, of a laugh. So at this point, um, you, you didn't even bring up the funniest part of this when um, what's the character's name from Snatch? Uh, Boris the Knife. Boris the Knife pulls up and, hey, where's the beef? But he pulls up and he's driving the General Lee, like a, a really <laughs> sh- chopped up version of it. Because I guess, you know, um, Dukes of Hazard's big there. And ends up taking them to Berlin. You know, they finally catch a break and they get to Berlin and uh, they go to Mika's apartment. And unfortunately, she's left for her study program. She's in Rome for, I think they say, one day. And she will be leaving the following day to go uh, study abroad at sea. So she's going to be quite unreachable, I think is the verbiage they use. So they end up um, going to Rome. They're financed to do so because Jamie, I guess, learning the meaning of Christmas, sold his camera to 
pay for their travel there. That's the part that I had completely forgotten about this movie. And that is that on the way to the third act, it actually has heart uh, because it doesn't need to. It's it's mission so far has been very much to make us laugh. And it, it, Nobody was going to criticize Eurotrip for not having a moment of uh, emotional truth uh, for any of its characters. And yet it goes there. It shows Jamie, who has made it very clear that that camera is the most important thing in his life. Uh, And then he sells it so that Scotty can, you know, find the girl of his dreams. That that moment was awesome. It was unexpected. Uh, And I think it works. They've they managed to... uh, create a bond with these characters that's believable to where that kind of thing doesn't come across as just cheesy uh, and then they punctuate it with one final joke which is that everybody's hugging and celebrating but then when uh jenny and jamie are about to hug they're like ah let's not do that <laughs> uh, they get to rome and as you can imagine chaos absolutely ensues they go to the vatican is that where they go yeah yeah they pose as jamie being their tour guide uh to get in to the Vatican, and of course he is paired up. Uh, as things will go, things will go awry, and he's paired up with a tour group that doesn't have a uh, tour guide. So now he's essentially leading Michelle Trachtenberg, and then a bunch of random people he doesn't know through a tour of the Vatican. But because he's so educated from that uh, Frommer's travel guide, he's able to just you know recite page and verse everything he knows about it. Meanwhile, Cooper and Scotty are trying to follow the group that they believe Mika to be in. And I mean, this this goes beyond, you know, comedic happenstance to like this is like Mr. Bean territory. (laughs) He said Mr. Bean is not funny. Oh, Mr. Bean's hilarious. But none of those movies try to ground themselves in any sense of realism. Mr. Bean, Johnny English, all that is my shit. But here Cooper ends up pulling the rope to signal the bell that the Pope has died. So it sends Rome into a tizzy. And then they go into, I guess, the the Pope's office or, you know, <laughs> Fortress of Solitude. And they're fucking around with his uh, his ring gear. And um, the whole punchline is Scotty puts on the, the Pope hat and gets tangled up in a curtain and accidentally stumbles out onto the balcony to signal that, you know, he's the new Pope. And it works. People buy it. <laughs> I I guess yeah. There, there's the one guy that they're they're very fixated on that the Pope is dead. They've picked a new Pope. He's the new Pope. It's the same guy over and over again. And then the 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 most awesome. They saved the most awesome cameo for the end because they actually got the Pope to be there for one shot, a reaction shot where he sees the new Pope on TV and he's like, "What the hell is happening?" Yes, the actual Pope was in this movie. I mean, it's not like he had much to do, so. They're like, fuck it, we got Damon, we can get anybody else we want. (laughs) But this all leads to this big, uh, this is something that, that, what was that movie with Chris Evans? Not another teen movie, that's what they kind of make fun of in the end, and that movie was years before this. So, Scotty sees Mika and is like, hey, wait there, and he rappels down and he comes, and I think we get the one actor saying, this Pope is crazy, (laughs) and he runs up and tells Mika, hey, it's me, Scotty, and you know, I'm sorry about what I said, and I think we should be together. And because this movie has shown it has no shame, what this all concludes with is them uh, having carnal relations inside of the confession booth. But wasn't that cool to find out that that Mika was just as sexual as the rest of them? Because usually the the trope in this sort of movie is that that girl, the dream girl, the unattainable girl, that finally you know 
is attained, she's better than them in the sense that, you know, by the standard that she does not succumb to carnal desires like that. So she she's she's pure, she's virginal. But no, here is just smash cut to them naked in the confession booth, just going at it. I wonder how many ass doubles they had on retainer <laughs> for this movie. Yeah, I mean, not everybody's Patrick Wilson. Just damn right. As doubles, because, you know, they don't pay you enough. And then, like, the final cameo of the movie is the woman in the confessional booth is Mindy Sterling, who played Frau in the Austin Powers franchise and also had random appearances through, like, Reno 911 and things of that nature. They never, uh, in all of her other cameos, she never had, like, somebody's butt, like, pushed against a window in front of her face, I gather. Like, yeah, just dead center face-to-face <laughs> contact apparently uh she and jeffrey tambor were both uncredited in this <laughs> tambor said fuck that i don't want my name on this <laughs> and damon this is the the holy trinity of uncredited actors <laughs> we need a picture of them like at the altar together the three of them uh so of course they have sex and it all ends up working out with mika and scotty uh, they go to celebrate and have a lunch uh, afterwards. One of the gentlemen from Jamie's tour comes up and says, hey, that was the most informative thing I've ever been on. And he says, oh, well, I was just re- reciting it from the Fromer tour guide, but I added some of my own things in it. And the guy's, it turns out he is Fromer, whatever his first name is. And it's Mr. Fromer. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Fromer, uh, fromer.guide. And he invites Jamie to take up a job with him. And so Jamie's just going to stay behind. I mean, let's just ignore the fact that I don't even know if their parents know where they are, but (laughs) he's going to stay behind and work in Rome. I mean, he'll be fine. He can clearly take care of himself. He becomes a new man after that experience in Amsterdam. He's a lot more confident. And I think, obviously, that allows him to sell the camera because the camera was, I think, like his security blanket. And then once he got a blowjob, he didn't need (laughs) it it anymore. It was his chastity belt. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he's going to stay behind. We get like the parting shot of the other three saying, all right, it's time to go back and know got to do what we got to do so they leave uh on the plane both feeling uh a bit dejected from not having any as they refer to it crazy european sex on the trip uh cooper and jenny end up hooking up in the bathroom and everyone ends up at college jenny and cooper i guess are a couple now uh scotty's roommate at school ends up being mika as she says i guess they thought i was a guy going back a little bit to uh to Cooper hooking up with uh, with Jenny, I think it's very telling that ultimately he ends up having a relationship with a woman that he didn't see as a woman. You know, so if that's like I think kind of splitting the difference between actually having a relationship with a guy and having a relationship with a woman. It's like, well, okay, well, my girlfriend's gonna be the girl that I don't really see as feminine. Uh, that is kind of a progressive, <laughs> uh, subversive even subtext to put in this type of movie again because they spent 90 minutes making gay jokes ah isn't it funny that this dude might like this dude or isn't it funny that this dude touched this dude inappropriately but in in the end i think that it's just uh you know like i said hidden underneath at all is it's a little bit of a more gay friendly message or at least trying to be gay friendly um there's more layers to cooper and the movie than uh you might think at first there's just an absolute downpour, a torrential downpour of straws on Julio right now, and he is just reaching for them with such <laughs> vigor. But like with, any, excuse, 
like with any movie worth its weight, we do get an actual the end that flashes upon the screen, and it's brought to us by the little flying fairy that they saw uh, once they had partaken in an absinthe. And it says something like, this happy ending's bullshit, and then flies away. <laughs> Total fuck you mentality from the turn of the millennium people. <laughs> well, and then they, they give you the a reprise of the full Matt Damon performance over the end credits. Yes, and uh, did you watch it through that completely? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was not paying attention the entire time because I was just writing stuff down. But, but yeah, so well, did you catch at the end where he like does the he, when he shakes his head out and has his tongue out and like a scream goes across? Like yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they used the sound clip of Howard Dean's scream from his presidential campaign that year. <laughs> what are you familiar with that? No. Okay, all right. So there is something. That's a, a lapse in coverage as far as your time in America. Uh, I, was, his name is Howard Dean. Now I'm questioning myself. Yeah, Howard Dean was a guy who was going to run for president in 2004. And um, I can't remember if he was going to run as Democrat or not. But either way, he did like this one speech. And it's so funny now because of the insanity that, yeah, he was Democrat. But like, the insanity of our public office has become he did one rally where he ended a speech like just kind of rallying the troops and then he yelled and he went (laughs) ended his whole campaign ended his whole bid (laughs) then fucking who ended up getting it john Kerry ended up getting it in 2004 but uh yeah so that was like a huge joke for a while was I'll have to send you the actual clip, but I, I assume there's people that are listening to this that understand what I'm talking about when I talk about the Howard Dean scream. And if you do, watch Euro Trip to the very end because that's what's featured uh, right at the very end of the credits. Third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. That's amazing. So that's not it's not Damon doing the scream. It's. The movie no, I, put the, the actual scream over Damon's face. Yeah, so Damon just lip synced the song, and then he—I guess—they just told him, "Hey, scream at the end," and then he did, and then they put Howard Dean's. <laughs> you want to talk about Colonel yelling? That's exactly what this uh, scream by him was. Brilliant! This movie does not let go until the very end. It truly does not. So, from you know, <laughs> a movie that took us in discussion of the 2004 presidential election. We started talking about the 2020 presidential election, ended in 2004. I can only, only wonder where Real Talk is going to take us, but let's go ahead and move on over. <laughs> let's go to Real Talk. That was a pretty wild night, eh? Yeah, pretty wild. Pretty wild. I know Larry was out of control. How about you guys? Did you, uh... All right, look. We were really drunk. Things got a little crazy, and Jamie kissed me. Let's just forget about it, okay? Okay, fine. I'm just, I'll give it a rest. <sighs> Jamie, can I borrow your fromers? 
Oh, here it is, Bratislava. Huh. Capital of Slovakia. Oh, here's a fun fact. You made out with your sister, man! Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, My friends, where is the beef? <laughs> All right, I am recording for Real Talk for Eurotrip. All right, Eurotrip, once again, released on February 20th of 2004. Oh, that makes sense now. They're trying to target the uh, Valentine's Day crowd, I guess. Such a romantic uh, movie. Well, no, that's not true, because Valentine's Day would have been, if that came out on a Friday, it would have been Saturday. So, I don't know. Trying to get the overflow. The dudes that fucked up on Valentine's Day having to take their girl out for a, a date the next weekend. A budget of $25 million with a box office return of a little bit under $21 million. Again, this did not do much commercially uh, when it came out, but has since, like I said, have found a certain level of fame. Uh, I, I guess you could almost refer to it as a cult classic in some aspects. Written by Jeff Schaefer, Alec Berg, and David Mandel. Based on what I read, it sounded like they all took turns directing, even though Schaefer is the only one who got a directing credit. Uh, but they all kind of were interchangeable throughout the process. Did they split the shoot by by country? Because that would be awesome. Berg is like, I want Amsterdam. I want the triple dildo. <laughs> Uh, it's according to the commentary track, all scenes were filmed in Prague, the Czech Republic, uh, especially in the streets of, uh, Rudolfinum. I really need to spruce up on my pronunciation of foreign countries, foreign to me. You want to be able to, uh, pronounce that safe word when you go to Amsterdam? <laughs> yeah, I'd be awful at that. <laughs> I wouldn't get myself in a situation like that in the first place, though. Bullshit. Again. Come on. Oh, You're in Amsterdam. Dude, no, but I'm not going to like a club like that. Like Amsterdam has like the red light district where the girls are like in the window that you can go up and say, hey, I'd like to, you know, have a drink with you type thing. And then that's that's way more my speed. Of course, my lightweight ass, if I was in Amsterdam, I'd go out and have one edible and then have to retire to the room for the night. I'd talk a big game. I'd be uh, I would what I would do is I'd get like an edible or like a, a really good joint um, and go get like a girl in the red light district. And then it would be like Joaquin Phoenix and the master when that girl goes on a date with him and he passes out at the restaurant. <laughs> uh, th that's like what it would be like if I ever went to Amsterdam. But again, to reiterate, the majority of this movie was filmed in Prague, which is funny and fascinating. I guess we, it was obvious that they green screened a shit ton of the stuff in the UK, but I guess I didn't know it was to that extent. I mean, as long as you don't green screen the fun, which they didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was tremendous. 47% uh, of Rotten Tomatoes. We're going to have a hell of a time talking about this. Julio, let's just go ahead and get into what were these critics? What, what were they fired up about one way or the other? Again, a mix of fresh and rotten. This time we'll start with rotten. Jake Euchre from F5, Wichita, Kansas, says, Maybe there really are people out there who just can't get enough of the kind of joke where the punchline is that a character is gay. Or the Pope. I mean, I wouldn't say that it's not that I can't get enough, but I can say that I sometimes it's still funny. You know, just like the punchline being that a character is straight can also be funny. <laughs> Correct. You know, um, 
I, I mean, I understand what he's going for, and w- we shall talk about it. Um, Stephanie Zacharek hits us with a fresh one from Salon.com. She says, just when you begin to wonder if it's ever going to get funny or if it's going to be merely desperate all the way through, it lifts off like a wobbly helicopter and somehow it keeps flying. Um, I wonder where she thought it got funny. Yeah, I wonder where she thinks that that liftoff is. Is it is it the Matt Damon part? Because that's pretty early on. Yeah, that's like first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. Rotten from Jonathan Foreman, New York Post, says a lazy and uninspired knockoff of the hilarious 2002 movie Road Trip. And I take issue with this, Alex, because I don't think these movies are alike at all. Road Trip was 2002? I thought that was 2000. Continue. I mean, yeah, Road Trip's 2000. Jonathan Foreman might be wrong. He's wrong about he his He is opinion. mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> about many things. And finally... Steve Rhodes from Internet Reviews gives it a fresh quote with, It'll have you laughing so hard you might injure yourself. I would trade all of the American pies for Eurotrip. Damn. Would you say, would you trade all of the American pies for Eurotrip? No, American Pie 2 is a very, I have a very strong attachment to that movie and it's also very funny. Uh, the first American pie, you know, when it came out, it was, I don't even remember if I saw it when it came out, but it was a cultural happening for, for pies everywhere. 12 year old boys. Yeah. Pies everywhere. And shit, it's given Eugene Levy a career. That's, I mean, that's the best thing I can say about it, but no, um, I'll say this. I, I would give up American pie, American pie three and American. Wait, what is it? Is it American pie two wedding and then reunion? Yes. Or maybe a reunion okay. and then wedding. But either way, there's only four. Yeah. Plus, American Pie presents Bandcamp and I don't know what else. Oh, yeah. American Pie 2 is the only one I would not part with. The rest of them, fuck it, take it. I'll spare those for your trip. Road Trip is better. Road Trip is the king no. of the... No. Road Trip is the king of the sex comedies, of the turn of the millennium sex comedies. I don't know what your beef is with it. It's wrong. It's misguided. I don't have a beef. I just, I, I don't understand your fascination with it. <laughs> it's Todd Phillips' best movie. No, that's not true. Hated is Todd Phillips' best movie, but it's it's a close second. Uh, well, okay. So I don't. This isn't a talk about road trip. To me, the way, uh, what I took away from road trip or what I take away from it is every one of the tropes that these movies try to hit. That one succeeds at, uh, in a way that the others don't, and it also. Features the best use of Tom Green ever, which which proves that Tom Green siphoned into a bottle can produce consistently funny things. Well, you, so that's my take on it. You could say the same about Damon in this one. Best use of Matt Damon oh. in a movie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> We're in real talk, dude. Don't try to sell me your bullshit here. Uh, even though, and we'll get to Matt Damon. Fuck it. We'll just save him for the, the finale when we get to that. Because that, again, that's what this movie is known for in terms of... Besides Scotty doesn't know, people that have seen this movie, they know the Matt Damon cameo. Um, I guess just starting off getting into this right off the bat, a film like this doesn't necessarily age well in 2020, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's um, the idea of the, the white, horny comedy is nothing new, and the idea of those movies having... Uh, some homophobic humor in them is nothing new. You know, you had Porky's and Animal House, and then um, I'm trying to think of into the 90s what some of the sex comedies were. I mean, Half Baked is a movie like this to a certain extent. Um, 
uh, even, you know, 200 cigarettes is kind of a movie about people trying to get laid. And so it's absolutely nothing new. Uh, that being said, the homophobic comedy did, based on the movies that I've seen, it did get a bit heavier in the, at the turn of the millennium with the American Pies and you know road trips and of course the movie we're discussing here today, Euro Trip. There was some, in my opinion, a bit more horrifying trends in movies like Animal House, where it was like taking advantage of girls that were passed out drunk. That's a bit more <laughs> off-putting to me than what we're talking about here. But obviously, homophobia off-putting. It. The comedy of that does not hold up today. It's why uh, American Reunion, which was the one that came out a few years ago, tanked. It's why, uh, what was the movie I referenced the first half? Sex Drive. I think Sex Drive is awesome. I think it's hilarious, and I think James Marsden is particularly great in it. But these movies that have elements of homophobic comedy and also the domineering masculinity in them, where it's the male characters that basically control everything that goes on, they had their time in the sun. It's time to move on. And that's those movies that I mentioned. There have been plenty others since then, but those are two of the big ones that came out and actually felt like there was some momentum behind them. The time has passed. And, you know, what we've talked about here with, you know, kind of going back and combing through the past of things that are problematic and whatnot, uh, I think there's a balance to it. And Julio, I'm going to let you talk at some point. I know I'm kind of going off here on my own. It's, I'm letting you set the table. Okay. People that come along with like movies like this, if it had between the, you know, Julian and I's age range, if they were born, you know, 10 years earlier, 10 years older, this kind of shit may not resonate at all with them. And that's understandable. I feel like being able to watch this and call out that some of what it does clearly does not age well like the movie Freaks I watched recently, and I was like, hey, this hasn't aged very well. Still kind of fucking scary to watch this. It's, uh, I can't help the, the time frame I was raised in and the things that we laughed at at the time. And, you know, some of the things that I laughed at this time are a lot different than what I laughed at when I saw this when I was a teenager. And um, I feel that it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's hard to, you don't want to vilify an entire thing just in, you know, people in it because the, what they were doing was not necessarily wrong. It's what the expectations or what was acceptable at the time was wrong. And like you said, though, I'm glad that over the past few years, we've been able to flip the script of uh, making jokes about how uncool straight people can be in certain situations. Like Parks and Rec, I referenced earlier, one of the hardest times I ever laughed at that show was the joke of um, April's boyfriend showing up and saying he was dressed like a straight person and then Paul <laughs> Paul Schneider walked into frame dressed exactly like him <laughs> that I laughed so fucking hard at that and so I'm glad that this kind of has turned around in a certain sense it's just you know I don't it, it's hard because people it feels like sometimes they want to write off things completely and for someone like myself not just from a homophobic standpoint but also like I said the the domineering masculinity. I'm glad we conquered that, but still I can't act like movies like this road trip, American pie didn't play a huge part in my adolescence and were things that I enjoyed. And I wouldn't want to act like that because they, they were there and they happened and I enjoyed them at the time. I, I don't know if I'm going to say I walked away from this enjoying it, but there are some things that are very funny that fall outside of what we're discussing here. But Julio, it's, um, 
it's a it's a difficult thing with uh, art of any ilk, and you know I wouldn't say this is art in the same way I would say uh, the, the Departed is art. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, yes, this movie does not deserve to be in the National Film Registry or anything, but I think it's definitely a time capsule that is uh, worthy of scrutiny, but also kind of examination. Yeah, it's I don't know, man. I I had a first of all, I laughed. I laughed a lot. I but I also it gave me pause a lot, mainly because I knew we were gonna be talking about it. If I was watching the movie and didn't have to have a discussion about it afterwards, then I wouldn't give it, give it a second thought. I might, I, might, I might give it a fleeting thought, but not enough to where I felt that I needed to articulate my thoughts. But but in this case, I have to. So I brought up the as a joke the fact that you know Todd Phillips doesn't make comedies anymore because he's not allowed to be edgy with his comedy or whatever you know which is kind of like a bullshit thing I, I think he's just resisting to I guess move on with the rest of the world you know I, I think that once upon a time it was okay for uh fucking was it Mickey Rourke to Mickey Rooney you're thinking of Breakfast at Tiffany's yeah Mickey right? Rooney it was, once upon a time it was okay for Mickey Rooney and Breakfast I mean it would have been awesome if it was Mickey Rooney and you know fucking uh John Wayne playing uh, Genghis Khan and Blackface was okay and you know, there are things that are a product of their environment, the time when they were made. And, you know, the people making them, like you said, yeah, they didn't. It's almost like they didn't know any better. Maybe sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. But as society moves on, different things become more acceptable. We learn to do things differently and we learn why some things maybe, you know, it's like, oh, this used to be funny, but now it's actually offensive because, you know, whatever. Uh, I think we kind of adapt. And uh, obviously, Todd Phillips, you know, and anybody, they have every right to say, like, well, if it's going to be like that, then it's not fun anymore, and I just, I don't want to play. That's fine. But what I'm interested in is my experience. And so when I'm watching this, you know, and something like the the Fred Armisen sequence comes on, and I was laughing, dude, but I was thinking, what is it that I find funny about this? Because honestly, it's not the fact that he is all over Jamie. It's not... I, it's not that I think it's funny that that Fred Armisen, a guy, is trying to molest Jamie, who's another guy, right? Uh, but I also know that I would find it very unfunny if it was Fred Armisen trying to molest a girl. So the fact that it's two dudes really is playing on my response to that scene. Yeah. But what I find funny is his face. That's really his face and the way he says, scoozy, like, that's what makes me laugh. Not the, oh, haha, he's touching a dude, right? So there's different elements. Like, there's what makes me laugh and there's also what makes me not recoil from the from the setup. And that is, you know, it's like, if you get into, like, the analytical part of your brain, then you're trying to figure out, okay, but why? You know, why? because shouldn't I recoil at the idea of anybody being potentially molested? Right. So what in, you know, it's because, well, we grew up in a basically where comedies and humor was conditioned us to think, well, if it happens to a girl is bad. If it happens to a guy is funny, you know, in this context of, of, you know, of a raunchy comedy or whatever. That's not, you know, like the usual thing that I'm thinking if I'm watching one of these movies, but that's it came up and it just led me to think about like all the other instances. I mean, you texted me, you were like, what, 10, 15 minutes into the movie? I was already almost finished with it. When you text me, you're like, there's a lot of homophobia in this movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's noticeable. I mean, Cooper is constantly like, 
you know, he's he's basically a walking no homo, right? It's like he keeps making these jokes. I was like, but I'm not gay. And a lot of it, like I said, a lot of the humor, I don't find that it's come from there, but it also doesn't turn me off. It just doesn't becomes, add to anything. Yeah, it doesn't add anything. And I think that as the years have gone by, like we're 16 years later, and it's just noticeable. It's just waving a flag. It's like, ah, oh, you know, that's not the kind of thing that you should be saying. And I don't think it's bad that we don't say that kind of stuff or that we don't make those jokes anymore. It was like, clearly it wasn't necessary, you know? You know, I think it's a... Uh... It, what's funny that you're saying all this, and I'm just thinking of that this was a year away from The Office starting on uh, NBC. Mm-hmm. The, and I've always found that show endlessly fascinating uh, in the the degree of that show still does that, you know, uh, gay haha humor, but the characters react to it. it. Like it was like in real time, they were making those jokes and showing they weren't okay. And uh, I guess the only reason I brought that up is because it, I didn't realize until I just saw the numbers that it literally started a year after this movie. Yeah, there was there was a, a shift, I guess. You know, even something like early on, Cooper says something like, oh, that sounds super gay. But that's not... See, so his line is not funny, but the follow-up is funny because then Michelle Trachtenberg says, but I'm a girl. Yeah. And so that part is funny. It's not that... That he's using gay as a as a substitute for like, oh, that's really like effeminate or whatever, you know. But what's funny is that he's using it on a girl who he happens to see as somebody who's not feminine. And so there's like more than that. And I think that that's kind of the story throughout this movie. That There's like a lot of really lame shit that suddenly finds itself elevated by some stuff that's really clever. And it's just a constant back and forth. Like the first maybe 30 minutes of the movie, I wasn't sure... I, I kept thinking of how when we were recording The Rocker and we mentioned that we're doing Eurotrip next, I very confidently said, yeah, Alex, this is not even a, a, a guilty pleasure. I really like this movie. And then as I was watching, I was like, do I really like this movie now that I'm watching it? Because I'm cringing a lot and I'm kind of like, eh, not, not being as enthusiastic with it. Uh, even after Scotty Doesn't Know, which I think is it's definitely a high point. And then it kind of like finds its legs. And I, I think that there's there's a lot of things that make me laugh it's a it's a bumpy road but you know it's it, there's a lot of things and i forgot jeffrey tambor was in it and specifically he has one part that made me laugh really hard where uh it shows him and his wife out mm-hmm. on the porch and he's like where's scotty and it's like oh cooper said they were going camping he's like all right and then i can't remember what their little boy's name is but she's like well where's buddy and he goes fuck if i know <laughs> and then it just cuts to whatever's going on and, uh i mean jeffrey tambor was we discussed in the hangover it he is great and everything. So it's not like I'm breaking news with that, but yeah, it's a movie that's sprinkled with some quizzical cameos and the Vinnie Jones scene is fun. It it seems like for the things that we're harping on and they deserve to be, uh, there's still this innocence about it that I don't know, like taking it back to road trip. Like I said, I know we weren't going to watch this, but like the idea of that movie is so phallocentric. This dude cheats on his girlfriend and then has to get to his girlfriend before she finds out he cheats on him mm-hmm. or cheated on her. Excuse me. I, even I lost sight of the plot there. Way to go, Todd Phillips. Um, <laughs> and with this, it's still this idea of this guy going to find this girl and tell her he's in love with her. And obviously there's a lot of other things riddled in there. But the the idea of it is innocent enough that when you have these sequences like uh, the My Baby Takes the Morning Train sequence with Vinnie Jones and all the other soccer hooligans. Mm-hmm. I laughed at that. That song's... I, I love that song. It makes me think of Seinfeld, but it's still... It's such an easy go-to, and then when it cuts to all them drunk around the piano singing it together, it's 
there's these sequences in the movie exactly like you said that it's like Bambi on ice pretty much like it, it the movie itself <laughs> it's it's feet are slipping out from under it consistently but when they do when they are able to you know prop themselves up there's there's some good stuff to it and uh yeah it, it, it exactly what you said if we didn't have this podcast and if I didn't have to take notes and think analytically about these things this movie would just zing right past me and um I think that's uh it's me. I, I don't know why I would ever in a situation have to think about this movie so much, but it really made me th- like really deep prod and think about movies and TV at, like at this time. And obviously it turns it up a bit with uh, the vulgarity and everything. But I've talked to women that are obviously now grown women who were girls or teenagers when things like this were really pro- uh, prevalent. And it did set a bad standard, like the idea of, every woman in this movie being thin to almost like a upsetting degree. And uh, just the idea of these men fawning after these unattainable levels of beauty women. And I, I think things like this, it's easy as in my case, a white man and, you know, in the age bracket that I am to look past that. But I think there's a lot of interesting trends that were in this movie that were damaging but then when it comes back to it, like I said, when you put that aside, there's still some clever writing here. And I think it's I guess I would say I think it's worth a view. It's just there's just uh, it's almost like you need a disclaimer before you watch something of this uh, before. What, what, what do you call it? A trigger warning. Yeah. A um, trigger warning well, to somebody who's not familiar with this type of movie. I would think, you know, I, I, I would understand if somebody much younger than us watched it and was horrified thinking that it's insensitive but again like i was just thinking you know here's another like example which is like the the whole thing with cooper at the the dominatrix and like the dudes and the triple dildos and all that stuff like on the surface right the joke's like oh this dude who's straight got like molested by the dominatrix and like uh, these guys and the dildos but that's not really what makes it funny right what makes it funny is like at least to me is the ridiculousness of the all the business with the safe word, right? That he can't read the safe word. First, he thinks he's not going to need the safe word. Then he needs the safe word, but he can't read it. Then when he finally reads it, he mispronounces it. So he ends up bringing something worse. And it's like, you know, to me, it would be just as funny if you had, instead of the three dildos, if it was just like a fucking tiger that came out or something, you know? Yeah. The payoff is him limping the next morning wearing the event shirt. Exactly. That's what's really, really funny. But like I did in, in, in the other example, swap uh, Cooper for Jenny. If this was happening to Jenny, then it's not funny anymore. It's like a horror movie. Then it's a Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre, you know? But it's like, but why? <laughs> it's like a, a simple like gender swap because we're conditioned to, you know, react a certain way changes everything. And so that's something that we, we just can't. I think that when you're like a, whether you're a filmmaker or you're part of the audience, you, you just can't ignore it anymore, right? It, it's just something that you have to keep in mind when you're watching a movie, when you're, uh, especially if you're thinking about a movie, if you're like talking about a movie. Uh, I don't think that they, when they were designed the sequence, you know, I, I would imagine there was never a question of like, oh, which character do we put here? But there was probably a question of like, okay, what's funny? Right. Well, what's going to be the funniest would be to get the horn dog character into this situation where he ends up being, you know, sexually abused, but in a funny way. It's just it's just so weird to even talk about. But there stands the movie. And, you know, when you watch it, at least, like I said, I was laughing. I, I thought that they they pulled it off. Yeah, I guess all I'm like all this that I'm going on about and what you and I are discussing is 
I think anyone that watched this, like you said, someone younger than us, 10 years younger than us would be horrified by it. Uh, you know, it's us saying, yeah, I get all that, but it's still f- like, we still find it funny because it was like basically a product of our time. Like those other movies, like, uh, Animal House I referenced earlier. There's some fucking horrifying stuff in that movie that happens. And that's like almost just played for throwaway laughs. But again, it's that expression of it's of its time is a real thing. But yeah, it's funny then to like dissect these jokes in the movie specific to Eurotrip that we're talking about here and figure out why it's funny. And again, yeah, I don't really care about the the homocentric overtones, uh, the homosexual overtones of the Fred Armisen character, just him being greasy and gross is funny. Mm. And again, that's probably just through like 2020 lenses of eh, it's Fred Armisen. And then, yeah, like the dominatrix stuff just got stupid, but, but like I said, the, him limping with the, the t-shirt on that's, that's a very funny visual. And you know, we've focused so far on just, this because it is the proverbial elephant in the room something that deserves addressing because we can't just be like man when he called him gay that was so funny because that's not the case <laughs> but it's the main thing is i wanted to go ahead and get that out of the way because there's shit that's funnier in the movie and potentially more problematic than that <laughs> that shit of making eastern europe just look poor and <laughs> awful i'm sorry that shit is fucking hilarious <laughs> that is you know if i was from there, I could see being offended by it, but that idea they have a, a dollar and you know eighty cents or whatever, and they're just living like kings. That that whole sequence is possibly my favorite part in the movie because you know they're literally like uh, like a vagrant just counting the change in their hand, and then it smash cuts to Michelle Trachtenberg being pampered in the big jacuzzi with the you know the face mask on and everything, <laughs> and like you said, the the payoff when he gives the nickel to the guy and he just. You know, he looks like he's seen the face of God. A nickel. And he turns around and slaps his boss. I quit. I opened my own hotel. <laughs> yeah. But see, I, I agree. I think that that's the funniest uh, uh, sequence in the movie. And I'm more willing to go to bat to it. And, and maybe history will prove me wrong. Maybe we're, you know, a few years removed from it just being completely reprehensible to make those kind of jokes. Or maybe it already happened and I just haven't caught up yet. You know, th- there's been a few times where I've made jokes about my home country, about Peru, uh, in that vein. And then I'll mm-hmm. be like, did I go too far? You know, but I don't think so. I don't know. I, I I, think that there's a balance between like, you know, when you make it clear that you're joking and you don't really believe something versus when you're just saying that something's funny because you, you don't respect it, I guess. You know, I guess jokes, like making fun of, of somebody being gay versus, I don't know, that's, I think that's a more sensitive issue versus saying that there's a whole nation in Europe that's like this post-apocalyptic world. <laughs> yeah. Because because when I see the, the depiction of that nation, that European nation, I'm like, clearly this is an exaggeration, you know, and this is just, this is meant to be funny, whereas, uh, or it's an exaggeration for the sake of comedy, whereas like when I see Fred Armisen molesting someone, in the train, and and I basically, and the joke is that oh he's molesting someone. I was like, yeah, but molesting anyone is not funny. Uh, so yeah. I don't know. I, I I think that there's a line there, and it, it might be blurry. And maybe somebody is somebody that actually works in comedy could be like could articulate it better than I do. But when I see it, I don't. I never felt that it was problematic when I, when I saw what they were doing because it's just so like 
outrageously fake. You know, it's, it's just a fantasy. There's no way that that's really... I don't think that anybody watching it would think that it's anything but just a made-up scenario for just for a set of jokes. Yeah, it crosses from, like, being just... Yeah, exactly, from the for the sake of, like something being a punchline it is being almost fantastical and just absolutely absurd because that's what's funny if they had like three hundred dollars and it got them all that that wouldn't be funny but it's the fact that they have like a buck 50 or buck 75 and i mean that's it's just becomes so absurd that it makes it entertaining i mean i i could see a scenario also where you just pick the wrong the wrong country to make fun of or the, the wrong like setup but even then, I don't know, man. It's that's the thing. It, it, that's why I do understand when I see comedians that are frustrated because they feel that they're being restricted. Where you know, okay, well, if everything is sacred, then you're really limiting what you know what I can do with my with my craft or whatever, right? Yeah. But it could just be coming from my own ignorance. Maybe I am just not fully immersed, fully aware of what the situation is in Western Europe. And maybe, you know, this is actually really insensitive to be making fun of that. You know, it's like, would you be okay if it was, if they were in like, I don't know, Ethiopia and they were just making fun of like kids that that, that were starving out there, uh, yeah. you know, but at the same time, it's like, I can see like a really dark comedy that would go there. It's not this movie though. So I don't know. I think it's pretty complicated for, for what it's worth. I felt that, in this movie, it worked. Like they, they managed to be ridiculous enough to where it wasn't offensive, and it just turns out to be like the funniest thing. And it's just, it's not just the money. I mean, the money is always the thing that I quote the most. For. Like I said, uh, the whole thing with Miami Vice and Boris the Knife, quoting using really old American. <laughs> Driving the General Lee. Yeah. yeah, it's that was just that was just so funny. I was laughing out loud. Uh, and by then, you know, the movie had me. Like I said, I was kind of shaking on it for about half an hour. But by the time they get to Western Europe, it's just, it's full on. It, it gets to a point where it's just so dumb that it's almost hard to be offended by it. You know, we've talked about movies that take things way too seriously. Uh, shit, what's that Robert Pattinson movie? Remember Me? Like, that's the type of thing that I could see someone getting, like, offended at. Because a movie that serves itself so heavy-handedly. And then the twist is that it's 9-11. <laughs> like, that, fuck off. Something like this is just... <laughs> I'm fine with someone saying it's dumb and that comedy doesn't work for me, but it's almost to the point where it's too stupid to get offended by it. Um, Cooper, you know, the the, the horn dog, crazy, the, the stifler side character, the two lines he had that made me laugh the hardest had nothing to do with sex at all. I meant what I said in the first part where he just pops into frame and goes, Mom made waffles. <laughs> that made me laugh. And then at the end when they're leaving Jamie – and uh, Scotty comes up and, you know, as like a goodwill or a, a sign of, you know, thank you, he gets him a disposable camera. And then Cooper like realizes what's happening and he goes, yeah, that's from both of us. <laughs> that it was just so dumb. It made me laugh. And everything we didn't even talk about in Contrarian's Corner, everything that goes on where he's uh, occasionally checking in with his job in America and he ends up getting that guy fired. <laughs> that that was all really funny to me, too. Yeah, I think he's really good. Do you, do you like Jacob Pitt? Like, would you say he's the highlight out of the four? Oh, yeah. The guy who plays Scotty's awful. No <laughs> offense, Mr. Uh, Mechlowitz, but not a fan. Uh, Michelle Trachtenberg, it just seems like it almost seems like stunt casting in this movie because they didn't really give her much to really do. It's just like, hey, Harriet the Spy or for you weirdos, here's Buffy's sister. <laughs> because there's the one shot of her in a bikini and then she kind of, I don't know, turns into a horn dog at the end. But yeah, so... Jacob Pitts, even though he's just playing the Vegas baby character, it's 
he seems the most natural of everybody and he's always got like a shitting and grin on his face throughout the entire film and uh yeah i guess because i don't really know him from much else besides sex in the city i just always associate this movie with him yeah i, I he's he's easily my favorite i don't i didn't dislike scotty but he really he doesn't get to do anything i mean i think other than than his uh robot fight which now with the we're in real talk do you really not like his uh his robot it was funny for like 30 seconds but that scene goes on for like three <laughs> or four minutes it just gets to the point where uh it's worth it in the end though with the guy with the way he sells going down going error error <laughs> that that's funny but again this movie for a movie that lives by the maddest rule, there's so much in this that's just like the directors were just doing the, you know, stretch it out motion when writing this because <laughs> that scene goes on forever. And then just the sequence at the end in Rome, it is not funny at all to me. The whole thing of wearing the Pope hat, the hat catching on fire. Like I said, it goes from this movie of even in a really extreme degree, just kind of funny happenstance to just absolute Mr. Bean level absurdity <laughs> that. It loses me there at the end. Uh, so that was that was a bridge too far. Scotty becoming the Pope a, for like five minutes. A, br- a bridge too far. That's right. Yeah, it was it was too much. But you know, Vinnie Jones shows back up, and he was one of my favorite parts in the movie, specifically when they're driving in Paris and they've got their you know double decker bus and they're driving on what they perceive to be the right side of the road, but it's the wrong side in Paris. And he's just screaming at people, you know, take your garlic bread, you dosa, doing the the fuck you uh, British sign. And it is what it is, man. It's a turn of the millennium comedy. You know, again, I kind of dipped my toe into this and Contrarian's Corner. For any teenager, there is always going to be a certain nostalgia that comes along with those first couple R-rated movies you saw in the movie theater. You know, I saw this with uh, my high school buddy. I think his name was Rex, if I recall correctly. And there's always a sense of nostalgia that comes with that. And for me, this and Freddy versus Jason, old school, are like those movies that were the first ones I saw in the the theater as a as a teen. You feel like you're doing, you're getting away with something, or you're part, you're like in a club that you're not supposed to be in because you're only used to seeing this shit with your your parents and whatnot. So. Yeah, I mean, because of that, I have the sentimental attachment to this movie. But yeah, watching it as a a thirty three year old, it's just fucking dumb. There's like some good comedy in it, but it's it's just very stupid. But I could I can lend credence to your claim that you would call it a guilty pleasure because, as we know, I have plenty uh, ready to rumble as an example of one of mine similar to this of just absolutely ridiculous, but has something about it a charm that I that I cling to. Yeah, you know my thing with road trip. I don't remember anything about it. I mean, I remember it, but I don't have the big signifiers like American Pie has the pie. It was like, if nothing else, you remember uh, Jason Biggs fucking the pie. And yeah. and Eurotrip, to me, it's like Scotty doesn't know and the, the the twins making out. And of course, like a nickel, I quit, you know, all that all that stuff. I have like a lot of memories. I, I've seen Road Trip at least twice. And I just, I remember the snake, you know, which is not, I don't imagine that's the high point of the movie. I remember Tom Green spending the entire movie away from everybody else. He stays home. Uh, yeah. But I, that's it. I, I, maybe I need to watch it again. You know, I know DJ Qualls is in it, but I don't remember anything about his character. It might be, I mean, even, you know, Old School has 
fuck, what's Will Ferrell's name? The tank. But, you know, him running naked down the street. Like, there's, like, the iconic moments. It, it, tell me an iconic moment from uh, from Road Trip. Are you, like, asking me for real? Yes. <laughs> oh, when uh, DJ Qualls dances to It's Tricky by Run DMC in the Black Fraternity House. <laughs> yes, yeah, I don't remember that. <laughs> Sounds great, oh, though. for shame. But he's not even the main character. <laughs> He's the one that took the most away from it, probably, at least for the short term. But, I mean, that's all fair. That's all fair and good. Uh, So, as we look to wrapping this up and moving into, as I said, we would keep as the main event, uh, Matt Damon's cameo in this. I mean, it's so hyperbolic, but it really is one of the more, like, stunning cameos. Just because it's, again... You know, we, we would always have in those Austin Powers movies, the three Austin Powers movies, there were so many cameos throughout those, but they, they all kind of made sense because it was a high profile comedy that featured, in most cases, you know, A-list actors and whatnot. What are movies known for their cameos also? I'm blanking here. Should have done a bit more research. The Muppet movies? Muppet movies. There you go. That's actually what I was thinking of, but I couldn't remember. Alan Arkin in the Muppets movie where he's the disgruntled tour guide. Yeah, all these things that we, we mentioned, these are all things that make sense matt damon being in this uh is crazy and it's the one thing most people remember for and it's why it's garnered such a cult following legacy however you want to word it he was an academy award winner by now right yeah yeah and so just doing a bit of research on this there's a bunch of different outlets that covered it and apparently it all spawned from a a q a he did uh so i'm just going to briefly read through this story euro trip is a 2014 comedy about a high school grad and his friends embarking on well a trip across europe it was a box office failure earning only 18 million in the u.s but it has gathered a cult following one of the reasons for the cult following is a surprise out of nowhere cameo by matt damon more specifically it features a pierced damon with a shaved head singing a rock song called scotty doesn't know the movie didn't feature any other a-list celebrities so why was damon in this movie in an Ask Me Anything on Reddit, I believe the kids call those an AMA, <laughs> uh, Matt Damon explained, so Eurotrip was written by three guys I went to college with, Alex Schaefer, Jeff Berg, and Dave Mandel, Damon said. And the three of them are three of the best comedy writers in the world. Damon added that uh, the four of them had a running joke of when one of them did something worth celebrating. Uh, we'd had one bottle of champagne. We sent it to them first because they had been hired on Seinfeld. Then they sent it to us when we sold Goodwill Hunting. The champagne bottle would be sent back and forth to congratulate each other without ever being opened. Uh, years later, Matt Damon was in Prague, uh, which again, to reiterate, was where uh, Eurotrip was filmed. And he was shooting the Brothers Grimm at the same time Eurotrip was also being filmed. His old friends called Matt and they said, will you come and play this kind of insane, bad version of a suburban, you know, punk band guy? And I said, yeah, I'm in Prague. <laughs> um, Matt said for the role in Brothers Grimm, he had to wear a wig knowing his hair wasn't going to affect the filming of the movie. He told the Eurotrip guys, just shave my head. Let's just go for it. As for the song, Scotty doesn't know. It's not really Matt Damon singing. It's a band from Boston called Lustra. Damon explained, one of my college roommates is actually in that band, Jason. And the song was actually written by one of my college roommate's brothers. Matt added, it was kind of a family affair. Films like Goodwill Hunting and The Martian may have won a bunch of awards, but do they have Matt Damon lip singing to a pop song about <laughs> sleeping with another guy's girlfriend? <laughs> Probably not. And so that kind of, in a nutshell, is a... 
the reason why Matt Damon showed up in Eurotrip, which makes it even kind of cooler that he was just kind of friends with the guys making the movie. It does. Uh, but I'll say this, Alex. You remove Matt Damon from this, and you just have a random dude singing the song, and it's still funny. It's special yes. because you're Matt Damon, but the situation of having... Again, it's just so outrageous to have somebody singing about... It, didn't they say that it's like their one-year anniversary or something? <laughs> They've been cheating on Scotty for a year. <laughs> yeah. Happy anniversary, baby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's just great. That that situation is funny, and the reaction that they set up, just Scotty is there drinking while everybody else is partying. Everybody else is chanting, Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> it's just great. But that was Eurotrip. Uh, man, it, it, it is dumb. It's got some good laughs in it, but... For all the things I said positively and, you know, nostalgically about it, it is still a stupid movie with a very, very, very flimsy script that uh, I would I would say I would give it a, a D plus is with the rating I would give it or grade I would give it rather. Yeah, I am torn between two and two and a half, which is funny because before this rewatch, I would have given it three at least. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's still a movie I like and still a movie I'll happily rewatch because like I said there's a lot of stuff that's uh that I find really funny. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with two and a half. I think because I can't deny how hard I laughed at some of the things and that entire Eastern Europe section is really funny and Scotty doesn't know is great and I I could quote Jacob Pitt a lot. There's not where I parked my car. <laughs> it's so dumb. They kind of give up on that halfway through. Yeah, I wish I could have gotten some more to that, but yeah. Yeah. It's not it's it's not a terrible movie. Just, you know, watch her beware. All right, so that's going to do it for episode 120. That was Eurotrip. Julio, we got 121 coming up next. What's uh what's on deck? 121 is a movie that neither of us has seen. Our friend Patrick, I remember if I said this uh, a couple episodes ago, but basically he messaged me, I don't know, maybe 2 months ago and uh, he suggested the movie Greener Grass, which is fresh, and it's on Hulu. So I was like, "All right, well, you know, we'll put in the rotation, and we'll see. We'll see when it comes up." And given that our our bonus episodes are about to be taken over by our patrons, I was like, "All right, well, it has to be now or never. It's it's November or nothing." Uh, now, last time we took uh, a friend's recommendation was the infamous Duplex episode. So hopefully this goes a little better. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> it's fresh. I mean, Duplex was rotten. So so there's that. I didn't get enough from Patrick to even tell if he liked it. I think he said it was a weird movie, which might have been how, uh, how Duplex was sold to you, Alex. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Sounds like a plan. But uh, that is going to do it for this episode. Moving along into plugs uh, for our Patreon listeners this week, uh, I will be discussing with Julio the Jake Gyllenhaal film Nightcrawler, which recently came across my radar. Julio, you got anything that's going to be discussed today? I have quite a few things, but first I'm going to start with a little shout out. I was on uh, our friend Billy's podcast. Remember Billy and Topher from the Street Fighter episode? Well, mm-hmm. Topher just had a baby, so he's on on paternity uh-huh. leave from the podcast. So Billy has been inviting people to uh, to fill in and do movies with him. Uh, so he invited me over to do Little Children, that movie with uh, our, our new uh, patron state of the podcast, apparently, uh, Patrick Wilson, and uh, my number one crush in Hollywood, Kate Winslet. Uh, and also it's a movie that brought back Jackie Earl Haley. That's, uh, that's a movie that he got a 
supporting he's nominated for an oscar mm-hmm. right yeah so yeah. i've been meaning to watch it since forever i've owned the movie since forever so this was just a, a good opportunity to, to take care of that take care of that blind side so uh the episode is out if you want to hear billy and i talk about it go to uh we watch a thing just look them up on their on a pod catchers and uh I will be also telling you a little bit about it, Alex, on our on our Patreon segment, along with a couple of other uh, cool things that I watch. I watched the new Aaron Sorkin movie on Netflix, uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. So we'll talk okay. a little bit about that. And also this sort of weird comedy variety special. Uh, it's called uh, Sarah Cooper, Everything is Fine. You might have seen it pop up on your Netflix. It's weird, and I want to tell you about it. So... All you patron listeners, uh, which, by the way, since our last episode, we got new patrons. So uh, welcome Ben and Paul from Filmbusters, the aforementioned Billy from We Watch a Thing, and our friend, longtime listener, Jamie Russell. Welcome, along with, of course, Dan and uh, Katie and Oti. By the way, Dan loves that movie, Nightcrawler, so he'll get a kick of whatever you have to say, unless you don't like it, in which case he might stop being a patron. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> And for those interested in our Patreon, Julio, how can they go about doing uh, signing up for that? Uh, Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. And of course, the link will also be on the show notes. You can go there. You'll find uh, stuff that I got cut out of the episode, along with extended plugs and notes from uh, notes that Alex and I took before recording the episode. A lot of stuff in those notes reveals how we feel I don't know if you typed yours this time, Alex, but the, the contrast between your notes and my notes for the Rocker episode was just staggering. It made me self-conscious. <laughs> uh, when I type them, it's usually just bullet points. When I actually write them down, I write out full thoughts. I typed them again, but I'll move back to writing them out because it, it gives a much better insight to my psyche that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, like I said, the, the contrast was really funny. That that was really the appropriate word. And But either way, uh, lots of lots of goodies. Patreon.com slash Prime. Join if you want more from us. Moving into our perennial plugs, as always, the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothgieser, he's the man in charge of our logo. Uh, Not just our regular podcasting logo, but also all the stuff on our Patreon. And also designing some stuff from uh, our upcoming merch. really busy hands like i said he's a podcaster he's uh, an artist he does comics he's also a writer he has novels he's also an economist so two of his podcasts are about economy uh, marginal and contante sonante they're in spanish also in spanish he has a podcast of peruvian current affairs which alex i wouldn't blame you for not knowing this because you know here in the states we have our own shit going on but peru just basically went through three precedents in the span of maybe two weeks <laughs> So, my God, I know. Uh, so Hans and his show, they they deal with that kind of stuff. So, yeah, if you want to reach Hans on Twitter, he's at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-M-O-N-I-O-S. If you want to check his website where all his work is listed, Mildemonios.pe. If you want to email him, Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. All right. And lastly, thank you to Zoe Perez for all the work she does with our social media accounts, specifically our Instagram account churches everything up makes it look real good fun and interactive zoe we appreciate all you do for us all right so that is going to do it for this episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time Quiet, goodbye, and